Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and as most of you know, I love New York. The program is a weekly show about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes we host shows about interesting and vital colors of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered things as diverse as the history of U.S. presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting relationship with New York, about half of them, believe it or not. We've covered African-American history in the city. We explored the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in New York. We've covered the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. And we've gone as far afield as exploring the history of bicycles and cycling, which have been part of New York for more than 200 years, and also the city's relationship with basketball. And we even covered topics such as diverse as the history of punk and opera in New York. After the broadcast, you can hear us on podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we are returning to the Bronx. Uh, which we have not done a show on in a while. And we're also, my guests and I are also appearing from our own cocooned abodes uh, due to the ongoing requirement to physical distance in the pre present health crisis. So I thank everyone, including our engineer, Sam Leibowitz, for making all of this possible. Uh, our first guest is a returning expert to Rediscovering New York. It's Jeffrey Garak. Uh, professor Gurak is a professor of American Jewish history at Yeshiva University, where he has taught for 43 years. And an interesting fact about Jeff is for 25 years, he was an assistant basketball coach of the men's basketball team. Jeff is an expert on the history of New York neighborhoods past and present. His most recent book appeared in October of last year, and wouldn't you know it, it's entitled Parkchester, A Bronx Tale of Race and Ethnicity. Uh, it's published by NYU Press. And of course, we're going to talk about the book on tonight's show. Jeff has also written and lectured extensively on the history of Jews and sports in America including a book called Judaism's Encounter with American Sports. Jeff, welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Well, thank you very much. We had a good time talking about basketball, and now we'll talk about Parkchester, my old hometown. You um, are from Parkchester. Was that your first home? Uh, I lived the first 25 years of my life in Parkchester. We lived in three different apartments, different portions of Parkchester. And then after we got married, we moved to Riverdale, in the uh, West Bronx, Northwest Bronx. And in fact, we were part of a chain migration of people who, Jewish people who lived in Parkchester, who found themselves and their homes in Riverdale. But I have to tell you, in doing this book, one of the interesting things and one of the challenges of doing the book as a historian is what I always say to people, I have my story, what I call my truth. And I'm constantly testing in this book whether my truth, my recollections, my experiences, and yes, my prejudices are similar to that of other people in the neighborhood. And Jeff, let me give you one example. Parchester was a strongly built community. The buildings were very substantial. As a result of that, during the summertime, pre-air conditioning, the apartments were hot as hell. And to deal with this heat, the people in the building on the floor opened not only their windows, but their doors for cross ventilation. So I knew that from my own personal history. I wasn't sure whether it was true, but when you hear five or six other people tell you the same story about how they created community out of the hot box of Parkchester, then I'm able to write this as the truth. And the open door policy leads to relationships, friendly relationships between the various white ethnic groups who are placed within this new community that prior to 1940, this may surprise people, was vacant, empty land within the Bronx. 
Mm. And I do want to ask you about that in, in a minute, but you know what you're talking about is a little reminiscent of what I heard from my grandparents' generation when uh, in the hot summer when they lived in tenements, they would they would sleep on the fire escapes, and <laughs> there would be different floors. They would cart their mattresses out, and of course there'd be people on different floors, so you'd also get to uh, talk with your neighbors well, on you know below you and above you on a hot summer's night. Well, you know my father grew up in Harlem, and he told me that he grew up, he he slept on the fire escape or he set, slept in Central Park. So for him, the heat in Parkchester was not all that different from what he knew back in the tenement days, although obviously our apartments was much better than the tenements. But for my generation, Jew and Gentile, when we got older, we didn't want to live in that hot box. And in fact, part of my family story is we rented and then bought a bungalow in Danbury, Connecticut, which was one of the ways people got away from the heat in Parkchester. The other thing people did, was that there is in Parchester to this day a beautiful metropolitan oval in the middle of Parkchester. In fact, it's on the cover of my book. So people hung out a metropolitan oval to all hours of the night, and they got to know people, and friendships evolved. Today, in an air-conditioned environment, you know, if you're lucky, you go from your air-conditioned car to your air-conditioned uh, apartment or house, and perhaps you don't see anybody. So this was one of the things that created community in Parchester, which made it very interesting uh, for me. One of the things I find interesting, you know, we'll talk about uh, the actual buildings and, and the people who first uh, lived there. Um, one of the things that, that's really interesting about Parkchester as a neighborhood, Jeff, is that unlike every other neighborhood that I've covered, I think on the show, and we've had I've had dozens of them, um, it's one where there really isn't a lot of history prior to the neighborhood going up. There's no, there's not really history of local peoples or of Dutch settlers. It was, it was pretty much a farmland in one institution that um, had land on the property, wasn't it? Before, before so Parkchester was, was built. Again, this was virgin land, a tw- twenty-nine acres of empty land which was owned by the Catholic Church. It was designed to be a protectorate for wayward boys, but as of 1940, it was wide, wide open territory. So Metropolitan Life Insurance Corporation, which got a sweetheart deal from the uh, Assembly and Senate of the State of New York, invested, uh, I think it was $100 million in building Parkchester. And the course of two years, they built uh, over 150 buildings. It's incredible. And to this day, if you drive on the Cross Bronx Expressway out to Queens, I should say, as you crawl out to Queens on the on the Cross Bronx Expressway, when you get to <laughs> Westchester Avenue, White Plains Road, you can see out of nowhere, this is Parkchester. So this was a planned community. Metropolitan Life saw itself as being uh, very concerned with creating a model community. And uh, they built this and people flocked to Parkchester. People very much wanted to be within Parkchester. Where did the name Parkchester come from? So Parkchester, well, again, Chester was uh, emblematic of the fact that in the 18th and early 19th century, it was part of Westchester County. And the park was the fact that the old neighborhood on the outskirts of Parkchester was known as the Park Versailles area. For those of you who know the Bronx, uh, this is a little bit west of uh, White Plains Road. Uh, so they they cobbled together the two names, and it became known as Parkchester to, to this to this day. And there was a sister community called Stuyvesant Town, which I'm sure your listeners have heard of, which was built two and a half years uh, later than Parkchester. You know, I did. I was going to ask you uh, how uh, Parkchester may have differed from uh, Stuyvesant houses and the Riverton houses in Harlem, which were also built by by MetLife. We'll do that a little bit later in the show. But I want to get to the actual construction of Parkchester. Um, it was planned in the '30s. Were there concerns at the time that since the country was still in the midst of uh, you know the, of the depression, although not as bad in the late '30s as in the earlier '30s? that um, it might not be the best investment. I mean, to build this huge housing stock with thousands of apartments, um, uh, MetLife obviously decided to go, uh, to go for it. Did they have concerns that the project might not work out? Very courageous, very courageous, very progressive. They sold a, they, uh, out of Parkchester. And if you go to the Metropolitan Oval, there still is a plaque in his memory. 
was very concerned with providing uh, working class people, lower middle class people with affordable housing and uh, took a risk again with the help of the, the state of the state of New York. So, yes, it was courageous. And, you know, by 1940, things are beginning to loosen up. And this was an investment which uh, paid great dividends for them. And they were able to bring their people. I should also say that back in the 20s, out in Queens, they experimented with this sort of social planned community. But 1940, Parkchester is built. One of the first businesses in Parkchester is Macy's. The first outlet store of Macy's is in Parkchester. Oh, wow. And I was very pleased that pleased uh, when Park, when uh, Macy's closed about a hundred different stores around the countries and more. Well, Parkchester has survived, and we lived at fourteen seventy West Avenue on top of Macy's, so we were keenly <laughs> aware of that uh, that uh, dynamic. It's still around today, and I hope with the pandemic, I just read today they're closing a lot of department stores. That my Parkchester Macy's does not get closed. Who knows? Who knows? Well, there's a lot that we're not going to know for, for a while. For sure. Um, well, Metropolitan Life certainly did, uh, uh, you know, they did want to make sure that, that this rented. One thing that I found interesting is that, is that they actually used the World's Fair of 1939 to help market it. They, they created a full-scale model of Parkchester that was built for and displayed specifically at the World's Fair. That must have been a sight to see. Yes, uh, there's a picture. It was a diorama which attracted thousands of people. <clears throat> and when Parkchester started opening, uh, Metropolitan Life provided buses for people to come from Manhattan elsewhere to, to view the, the new construct. But again, one of the things that Metropolitan Life was very strong on is they want a certain type of family to live in Parkchester. And if you applied for uh, an apartment in Parkchester, what actually happened was a social worker came to your home, okay, and in fact uh, investigated to see whether you had a, a proper type of home. They came with white gloves to make sure there was no dust on your, on your, your houses. And again, here's another story. We have 10. Sounds people. like some of the co-op boards I know of in my business yeah, now. Yeah. They visit your premises. Well, not a lot. There are a couple of co-ops that do that still. Not right. so Most of them a, don't. There's a priest named Father Graham who now is in Throg's Neck, whose family was turned away from Parkchester. And he said that we became a Monsignor at St. Raymond's Church. He'd open all the speeches by saying, you know what? I became a Monsignor and I finally got into Parkchester. So people who got into Parkchester, you'll excuse the Jewish expression, saw themselves as chosen people. And that created a sense of community as well. There's one caveat which we should talk about soon, and that is when I say people, I'm talking exclusively about white people. It was totally segregated until 1968, which I say on page one of my book was an egregious blot on its history. So that's very important as well. We're going to uh, uh, discuss that in a couple of minutes and also look at um, uh, when Parkchester was no longer segregated. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Garak. We are focusing on his book tonight. It's called, appropriately, Parkchester, A Bronx Tale of Race and Ethnicity. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York and our episode on Park Chester in the Bronx. My first guest is Professor Jeffrey Gurak. He's the author of a book that we're talking about tonight called Park Chester, A Bronx Tale of Race and Ethnicity. Jeff, I really, uh, I haven't read the whole book. I've read a little bit of it and I really like your style of writing and it's also very heartwarming to hear you talk about the place where you grew up and how um, some of the things that were special to you still continue to this day in your recent visits to the neighborhood. But I do want to ask you another question before we get back to Park Chester. Um, you've written other books. Are there any others that you like as much as the one you wrote about, about your, your home neighborhood? Well, you know what? I've written 22 books. So I like all my books. But, uh, and, and by the way, each one of the books leads to the next book. So I did a book a few years ago through NYU, my publisher, called Jews in Gotham, a history of Jews in New York from 1920 to 2010. In that book, there are a few references to Parkchester. And from there, the linkage was to Parkchester. But, you know, it's uh, it's an exercise in coming back home to some extent. In fact, really quickly, uh, I took my grandchildren to a children's concert in Parkchester, and I showed them where we lived. And they live in a private house in New Jersey. I had to explain to these girls, we didn't own the building. We had one little apartment in the building. So, it, you know, but it's nice coming home and it's nice interviewing people who live there and hear about their experiences and comparing them with mine, which again is part of trying to see to what extent my story is typical or atypical of other people's stories. So it's been a lot, it's a lot of fun. It's been received very well. And I've spoken a number of times in Parkchester, but my uh, lecturing dance card is a little bit controlled by the pandemic right now. So it's nice to do a podcast, that's for sure. Well, and it's, we're grateful to have you. I'm, I'm grateful to have you on the show on more than one occasion. Um, speaking of the buildings in Parkchester, one of the things that I found really interesting is that, you know, being a little bit of an amateur student of history myself, is that pretty much all civilian construction stopped in the country after the bombing of Pearl Harbor and the entry of the U.S. into the Second World War. But building Parkchester actually continued until it was completed later in 1942. How did the company manage to pull this off when, you know, uh, uh, Harry Hopkins was marshalling every single uh, dollar of, of, of money to, uh, uh, to, to move to a war economy? Yeah, good question. Fred Ecker was very well connected, and uh, the much of Parkchester was completed before December 7th, so they were able to prevail upon the government to let them, uh, you know, let, let them uh, finish the work, with, with a proviso, by the way, that anyone who was promised an apartment but was drafted into the army, when they got out of the army, th there would be an apartment waiting for them. That didn't work exactly well because after the war, there were a couple of lawsuits where people said, hey, you promised me an apartment. Where's my apartment? But you had to be white, Jeff. You had to be white. Very important. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Of course, there was a dire housing shortage in New York right after, right after the war. Um, yeah. What made Parkchester a city within a city? It may have been the first real planned urban development that, that, was, that was promoted as this and that was marketed as this to, to, to its residents. Yeah, well, the city and the city concept was something to uh, convince people that it's better to move to Parkchester and to take the fast and efficient and cheap subway into what we call the city for five cents, right? As opposed to, you'll excuse the expression, schlepping out to suburbia, which becomes the, the, uh, the, uh, 
the mode of activity for many people. So city within the city, you have, you, you have the uh, restaurants, you have stores, you have everything you need within the precincts of, of the Bronx, very close to the city of New York. And I, I envision the story of thousands of people walking down Metropolitan Avenue every day or Unionport Road to the subway that take them to their, their work in the city, returning home at a reasonable hour and living a very good life within that neighborhood. Mm. Before we, we talk about the people who were excluded um, from Parkchester, um, one thing I want to ask you is that uh, in, the, in your book, you write about how the getting along spirit um, not only prevailed in Parkchester, but it also marked a turning point for relations between uh, different ethnic communities in New York. How is that 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 happened in Parkchester as one of the first places? Where well, that first occurred? of all, uh, the context is that prior to Parkchester, Irish Americans and Jews did not get along. In fact, if you think right before the war, Father Conklin was very active in Detroit, and he's heard in uh, New York, and there are street battles between his group, his Christian mobilizers, fought against Jews in Washington Heights, in the South Bronx, etc. Parkchester is different. Parkchester is different for a variety of reasons. First of all, primarily after the war, there's a better spirit in America about who we are. Second, secondly, people who got into Parkchester, there's no sense among the Irish that the Jews were invading their neighborhood because they're all getting into the neighborhood together and they can't choose who to live with. These social planners, metropolitan life, put people into the apartments randomly. So the Horowitzes and the McGregors and the McDonald's end up on the same floor. They open their doors and windows and people get along. I also should say that there are a number of Catholic priests, particularly Father Scanlon, Monsignor Scanlon, a very famous priest who's an advocate of tolerance. And I tell the story that one of the two synagogues that is built in Park, outside of Parkchester, Temple Emmanuel, now defunct, now it's a charter school, the building, was built on land where the owners wouldn't sell to Jews. Father Scanlon bought the land and conveyed it to the Jews. So you have that get along spirit. Now, I also want to say, I know we're short on time. It doesn't mean that Jews and the Irish are great friends, but a distinction has to be made between being long-term enemies and people getting along with one another. And finally, there are Parchester policemen, Parchester cops. There are no gangs. There are no pogroms against Jews. Creates an environment where people feel very good about living together. And this is a turning point in terms of the Irish and the Jews in New York. You know, prior to the, the only other example I can give you of that time period was in 1947, William O'Dwyer helps the Irgun, the Jewish radicals in Palestine, uh, smuggle guns into Palestine. And he, was the then, he was the then mayor of New York, William yes. O'Dwyer. What yes. did the Irish and Jews have in common? They both hated the British. Yeah. <laughs> they had that, you had that commonality as well. Well, actually, I learned that the that the IRA, um, uh, uh, the the provisional IRA in those yeah. days, they they also uh, different from its later history. They actually supported um, the independence of Israel because because they were because they were revolting against against the British. Um, I want to talk about the the ugly underside to the neighborhood's earliest history, um, but I also want to uh, hook it in with another question, Jeff. Is as an historian and not just an author, you examine primary sources, and I know that you looked at the, the records in Metropolitan Life. Do you want to talk about how people of color were excluded in the, in the, in the early days and what you found in the records of, well, of thank Life? thank you. This is remarkable. Metropolitan Life has an archive, which is open to scholars. They don't know what is in the archive, but I do. So you come across memoranda from the 1950s and 60s. What you're supposed to do as a renting agent when Mr. Black or Mr. Brown applies for an apartment. You tell him, you know what? You're on the list. You're going to get an apartment. But you know, Jeff, you never get off the list. They're very open about that. In addition, I came across a law article written by the general counsel of Parkchester uh, in the University of Chicago Law Journal talking about how they kept the neighborhood segregated 
in order to, to maintain the fiduciary responsibilities. And this is all before 1954. You know, I've taught at Yeshiva for 43 years. One of the things I tell my students is, and your listeners should understand this as well, is that we were a very segregated city in the 40s and 50s, even into, even into the 60s. But to be very brief about it, 1968, the Human Rights Commission says to Parkchester, says to Metropolitan Life, if you don't integrate Parchester, not only are we going to continue to fine you, we're going to toss you all in jail. Next thing you know, African-Americans in significant numbers move into Parkchester. And it's interesting. I met some of these people. They're still there. And some of them had worked for the NAACP and the Urban League. You know what they said to each other? The white folks knew how to jump the list. We're going to behave just like them. We're going to jump the list and get in earlier. So finally, in 68 and 69, Parchester sold, Metropolitan Life sold, sold Parchester to the Helmsley, Helmsley Spear Corporation. Now, the Helmsley Spear Group was, uh, you know, uh, I have a chapter called Mrs. Helmsley Should Do Her Time in, in Parchester. You know, a lot of bad things about them. The Helmsleys were integrationists, Jeff. They didn't see black and white. What color did they see? Green. 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 And they get involved in a quixotic attempt to turn Parkchester into condominia. Uh, today, it's primarily condominia, but it's a long, long struggle between the residents of Parkchester. Oh, by the way, the, the whites and blacks now have a common enemy. It's the Helmsleys. <laughs> and there's a long history of that as well. Today, the neighborhood is um, primarily uh, Bangladeshi, Indian, Malaysian, African-American, Latino. There are almost no Jews left in Parkchester. Uh, and the churches, which were Irish churches, are now African and Afro-Caribbean churches. So I had to study these churches as well as synagogues. And you know what? Got a very good reception, made a lot of friends. In fact, there's a picture of one of the priests on the cover, Father Derivan, which everybody likes. It also sells books because people like to see Derivan's picture, even if they don't read the book. So the point here is, that one of the things I'm teaching people is that when we talk about racism in America, it's not only south of the Mason-Dixon line. It's up here in our city as well. And I hope that's one of the takeaways from the book as I, as I developed it. Well, Jeff, we're almost out of time. I'm, I'm, we're going to be talking about more recent vibe and feel of Parkchester with our second guest. But I did want to ask you something having to do with art. Um, there was great inspired art during the depression that was created by the WPA, WPA, the Works Progress Administration. Is there any of that art that was created in Parkchester? Yes, there are, there's art deco on many of the buildings uh, that uh, artists have studied, which were built along with the, uh, uh, in the 1940s construction. Uh, that was one of the pieces uh, as well. So Parkchester has changed a great deal, Jeff, but in many respects, you know, it's still a nice neighborhood for uh, people of relatively modest means, although the people there now, are, you know what, they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, but in many respects, they are very much like the Jews who lived. Our synagogue is a mosque, but I've met these people in the mosque, they're Bangladeshis, and to many respects, they remind me of my own life. Uh, I know we're short on time very quickly. I made friends with a young man who's a young Bangladeshi. And uh, I told them that when I was a kid, I often was got a reward from my rabbi, gave me a shovel to shovel off the sidewalk. <laughs> and the kid says to me, well, that's awfully interesting. I use the same shovel. Now, it's not, <laughs> it's not literally the same shovel, but this kid could have been me. Bronx High School science graduate, going to NYU on a free ride, could have been a Jew, happens mm. to pray five times a day. Orthodox Jews pray three times a day. But instead of having a picture of myself on the cover of the book, I thought it'd be nice to have me and this young man in front of the mosque, which was my synagogue. And he's become quite a celebrity within the Bangladeshi community. So I'm very happy to have met him. And he was a very important informant that made the book uh, come alive, I hope, for my readership. 
It absolutely did. His name is Tom Zine, and I want to read, uh, after you recount some of the story of speaking with him, I want to share the last sentence of your book, which was, Thank you. But in some crucial respects, it has remained the same special place. That place is Parkchester, and our first guest has been Professor Jeffrey Kurok. He's professor of American Jewish history at Yeshiva University, and he's authored the book Parkchester, A Bronx Tale of Race and Ethnicity. It's published by NYU Press. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you. My pleasure. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest, who has a little bit more recent history in Parkchester. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the show comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, Mortgage Specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York and especially its neighborhoods and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. It's called Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m., you can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like my show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about the real estate business in New York. When I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is also a Bronx native and from the area. His name is John Benizio. John is the Chief Operating Officer of Metro Optics Eyewear a retail optometry practice with four locations in the Bronx, including Parkchester. John was raised in Morris Park, went to New York City Technical College, where he studied ophthalmic ophthalmic dispensing, 
and also Empire State College, where he earned degrees in computer technology and business administration. John serves as chairman of the Westchester Square Business Improvement District, a nonprofit, not-for-profit he helped found in 2002. He's currently involved in the development of four additional bids, that's business improvement districts, in Morris Park, Throgs Neck, Allerton, and Castle Hill. He's a tireless advocate for small business concerns and has consulted on these issues with Mayors Bloomberg and de Blasio. Assembly Speaker Carl Heaste, who's also from the Bronx, Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr., and other federal, state, and city elected officials. In December 2016, John was named as one of the Bronx Borough's top 50 influencers by City and State Magazine. But John's community involvement doesn't stop there. I know I'm reading a lot, but uh, John, you have a really accomplished resume and still do it. Um, he served on the Bronx Advisory Board for Vision Services for the Blind and is business development chair at the Bronx Chamber of Commerce. In 2015, Metro Optics was named as one of the top 50 small businesses in New York City by 1010 WINS Radio. And in 2016, they were honored with the NYC Age Smart Employer Award by Columbia University and is the first recipient of the Made in the Bronx Award by the Bronx Chamber of Commerce. Last year, they were honored as one of the top 10 finest optical retailers in the United States by Envision Magazine. And in 2019, Metro Optics placed number 46 across the country in Jobson's top 50 U.S. optical retailers. That's a lot of honors. John, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you very much, Jeff. Glad to be here. You're a Bronx native. What part of the Bronx did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in Morris Park, um, which is just north of Parkchester. Um, I moved around a lot um afterwards and um ended up back in the bronx for a period of time now i'm out in queens and um but growing up in the bronx was uh, an experience that will always be with me you know i went to school in the bronx i went to high school in the bronx um i um just i'm a bronx guy through and through businesses here um I'm, I've got all uh, all twenty in it. You know, before we get to talking about Metro Optics and Park Chester, I'd like to talk to you about your commitment to and, and passion for for Bronx communities in general. Mm -hmm. You've got a long history of involvement, not just in local business groups, but also with organizations that help people, like Vision Services for the Blind. How long have you been engaged in organizational work? Uh, I I would say that when I was a kid, my father. Um, was a very, very involved in St. Dominic's Church, which is on Unionport Road on the Morris Park side. And uh, he was, uh, you know, that's the way he brought us up. He, he, it was basically that you, you learn, you earn, you return. And, uh, you know, that was kind of ingrained in me uh, over the years. And, you know, there was the Holy Name Society that he did work with. There was the bazaars and so on and so forth that I always got. At first, he would volunteer me for these things. And then <laughs> later on, you know, I would volunteer myself. So it was, um, it was a. It's kind of like the rabbi giving, giving Jeff the shovel to have him volunteer yeah, to clean in front oh, of the yeah. sidewalk in the beginnings, but then him getting involved on his own later on. Well, I had a lot of shovels in my life. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and um, so these were things that um, I got involved with as a, uh, you know, as a businessman, it's, it only makes sense for me to my, my community involvement in large part is to promote business. So that's why I'm involved so much with um, uh, business improvement districts and, you know, trying to send the message that, you know, you stand up and you help yourself and that's how you get ahead. One other question I want to ask you about, about your community work, John, what would you say have been the, the most rewarding organizational involvements for you? Because you've done so much and you still do so much. Well, I, I think that my biggest uh, achievement or ability is to be able to raise money for these organizations. Uh, you know, not-for-profit organizations, especially now, are in really, really deep doo-doo, okay? And they need to be able to uh, stand on their own two feet, and that's getting harder as, you know, this virus has, has really um, taken the philanthropy end of a lot of people's lives and flipped it upside down because now people are, you know, in, in large part are just trying to stay ahead. They're trying to keep their heads above water. And, you know, I think that now more than ever, it's important to, you know, be involved in, in fundraising uh, abilities to be able to help 
organizations that don't have the means to be able to do the good work that they do in the community. Before we get to Metro Optics and, and, and the neighborhood now, I want to I wanna ask you a, a question about history. Uh, I want to let our listeners know that you're quite a historical enthusiast for history in the Bronx. Um, is there any particular... Pardon? Not like Jeff. No, but but you have you have a different perspective of it, and I wanted to know if there's any um, particular part of the area's history, not just Park Chester, but maybe Westchester Square and the in the surrounding part of the area that's especially meaningful or colorful for you. Well, um, one thing that I'm very very um, proud of is that one of our patients at Metro Optics is a woman named Claudette Colvin. And I don't know if you know who Claudette Colvin is. Claudette Colvin is, um, she may not be here anymore, but as late as last year, she was a Parkchester resident. Claudette Colvin refused to go and give her seat up to a white woman on a bus in Tennessee. Uh, this was before Rosa Parks did it. Wow. And Claudette, Col- Claudette Colvin has been a member of the NAACP in Parkchester. Uh, she's a patient of ours. She's been up here for many years. She's she's well on in years now. And, I, and the last I heard was that a family uh, moved her back down where they could help her down south. Um, but I think that, you know, she is like probably one of the uh, most, and I don't use like the word colorful when I'm talking about Claudette Colvin, but she, she was a, a colorful character in the history of Parkchester. So you hear, you know, Jeff talked about, um, you know, how it was largely a segregated community. She was one of the first non-white people to um, take up residence in Parkchester. And uh, she's extremely famous. They recently named a a street after her um, and finally gave her the recognition that she deserves. And I think that that's a big, that's a big one for me. Um, uh, There's a lot of things about Parkchester that, you know, stand out in my memory, um, you know, uh, uh, from a commercial end. Okay. There was the, the Burger Express restaurant, which is now, um, um, it's right across the street from our store. And it, uh, it used to be a, a hamburger joint where you went in there and you sat down at a counter and you ordered your burger and the burger came on a train that came <laughs> down the, the thing. And now it's the, the step-in restaurant, um, which it became many, many years ago, maybe, um, as far back as, uh, you know, 1974, it became the step-in. But, um, you know, there was a lot of good things about um, growing up when I was a kid. I grew up in Morris Park, and we used to go to Parkchester all the time, you know, in large part because Macy's was there. So you would go there to, you know, to shop. Your parent, my mother would go there to shop, and we would go with her. Um, there was a Chinese restaurant, my first Chinese restaurant, where I ever had a Chinese meal was in Parkchester. It was the Green Dragon, which is now up on Tremont Avenue. But back in those days, it was on uh, U Grant Circle. And um, you know, that was my first Chinese, the uh, first of many millions of Chinese dinners that I've had in my life. But uh, a lot of unique things about Parkchester that um, uh, the Hampton House uh, was another one, okay, which was the restaurant that was on the... Um, Right on the on the uh, on the oval by Metropolitan Oval. Then, of course, you know Jeff mentioned before about the how people used to go to the oval on hot summer nights. There was a still is a giant fountain in the middle of this with with uh, cherubs and and uh, you know fish that that spit water out and create a spray. Uh, and every summer, the um, groups would have uh, events there in the park. So uh, fantastic. Uh, place to grow up in. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to take the trip from uh, from Morris Park to go into Parkchester to shop um, with our parents. When I got older, going to Macy's became a place where you went because Ticketmaster was in Macy's. And I remember going there um, one day. We all played hooky from school because Led Zeppelin was playing at uh, Madison Square Garden. And if you wanted to get tickets, you had to go to Ticketmaster, which was in the lower level of Macy's. And there were thousands and thousands of kids standing outside, not online. People were just getting ready to rush the place. And when they opened the door, there was a mass rush 
to get down there. And we were in front because we were there all night. And uh, we ran get tickets. That. That's one of my great memories of huh? the 80s is uh, <clears throat> running past all of the displays to get down there to get Led Zeppelin oh. tickets. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, I want to ask you about uh, your career and also uh, more about Parkchester now and, and, and the neighborhood. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. to Rediscovering New York and our second guest on the show on Parkchester, John Benizio. John is a partner and chief operating officer of Metro Optics Eyewear. John, when did you decide that you wanted to go into the career of ophthalmic dispensing? Uh, okay, so it was 1972. Um, my brother and I were going to the movies and we lived in Morris Park and we walked into Parkchester to the Lowy's American where the original Godfather was playing. That's how long ago. And that's what my brother wanted to see. And uh, so we went uh, on the way over there. We were passing by on Unionport Road, County Optical, which was a company that was there for many years. Um, and I used to get my glasses there, actually. And there was a sign outside the window, on the window that said, Boy Wanted After School on Saturdays. So uh, I walked in. I would get my glasses there so they knew who I was. And... Um, the, uh, the ladies that worked there um, talked the doctor into giving me a shot. So he said to me, all right, come in tomorrow after school. What time can you be here, et cetera, et cetera. And I got there and on the first day. He said to me, okay, there's two bathrooms, one over there and one over there. Go clean the bathrooms and we'll see what you can do. So I mean, I clean those bathrooms really good. So at the <laughs> end of the day, he looked at the bathrooms and he said, okay, come in again tomorrow. So I went in the next day. They brought me into the shop. And uh, showed me how to, um, you know, uh, case harden lenses. Back in those days, everything was glass and it had to be uh, heat tempered. So they showed me how to do that. And because I was good at algebra, they taught me how to transpose lenses and pull stuff from the stock room. And I did that all through high school. I matriculated straight into New York Tech uh, to go to school to become an optician. And then later on, I decided I didn't want to do that. So I went to school and uh, got a degree in business and a degree in computers. And then I came back to the optical industry because it's what I do best. Metro Optics has four locations now. Aside from Parkchester, you're also in Westchester Square, Hunts Point, and Throgs Neck. Where in the order of your business's opening was, was Parkchester open? Parkchester was the original store. It was started, oh. by, it was started by my partner, Michael Langaro. He lived south of Parkchester on Chatterton Avenue. Um, and the uh, Michael opened the store on Metropolitan Avenue, therefore the name Metro Optics Eyewear. Um, and uh, 
the funny thing about it was I knew Michael for uh, years before that. Uh, he was a DJ and I was a bartender in a nightclub in Nourishelle. And we knew each other for about two or three years. And uh, one day after a, a day at the beach, we were up in a hamburger joint in, in Nourishelle. And he said to me, what are you going to do when this is over? I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, disco is not going to last forever. What are you going to do? I said, oh, I guess I'll go back to making eyeglasses. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'm an optician. He says, so am I. So Mike had had gotten out of, uh, he was a special forces in Vietnam. And when he came home, he used the GI Bill to go to school and he became an optician. And um, neither one of us were in the field when we met. But uh, later on, Michael called and he called me one day and he said, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I need to talk to you. So I said, oh, nothing. I got no plans tomorrow. I'm off. He said, why don't you meet me in front of the Step-In restaurant in Parkchester? You know what it is? Of course. So I go to the Step-In. I'm standing outside and right across the street, there's Michael and his father and his uh, partner at the time and that guy's father. And they were putting a hole in the side of a building. Uh, to build a window um, for the new. And Michael said to me, that's my new optical store. It was about 450 square feet. It was so tiny, okay, and turned out to be one of the uh, most successful optical stores in the country per square foot. Um, Mike's idea was that you weren't going to just make people glasses so they could see. You were going to make glasses so it would be fashionable for them to have an accessory on their face that was also useful because you could see. So uh, he came out with, Michael came out with a lot of original ideas. I'll give you one that's uh, really amazing. Uh, it was 1978 when he opened that store. That was also the time that hip hop was starting in, in the Bronx, okay, where it was born. And um, Michael knew about hip hop. He knew about the music. He had a friend that was in the music business. And at that time, there was a, a frame line called Kazal, C-A-Z-A-L, which was a German company. Kali Zaloni was the, was the designer. Wasn't well known here, but Kazal glasses took off like crazy. Run DMC started to wear them along with their, uh, with their sneakers and it became very famous. So Michael went to the people, uh, that were distributing Kazal in the United States and he made a record, uh, with another guy, a hip hop record. And they brought it to him and said, this is what you have to do if you're going to get people. You, your, your brand will take off like crazy. But not only that, you have to have running suits and hats and you have to have the Kazal brand on all of these things. And the guys that were, you know, these guys were in the optical business for a long time. They turned around and said to Michael, what are you, crazy? We're not in the closing <laughs> business. We're in the optical business. Okay, now, uh, you know, fast forward 40 years later. Okay, they have gazelle hats and stuff all out there. So he was a guy that was before his time. Well, I, I do want to talk to you about the neighborhood and about Parkchester. That's a, that's a great story. Um, describe the vibe of Parkchester, John. What is it? What is it that you that you feel about the neighborhood now? Well, it's different Parkchester from- Park is a very diverse community, as Jeff brought out before, and it's you know it's the type of place where um, there are so many different ethnicities, so many different groups of people that live there and work there. Uh, and they're all very loyal to the community. Um, I think there are people that come into, uh, you know, we've got three generations pretty much of patients that still come back. Okay. Um, you know, I've had patients that have come in and say, uh, you know, my father brought me here for my first pair of glasses and his father brought him here for his first pair of glasses. And now I'm coming back with my son, he doesn't need glasses yet, but I brought him with me. I'll tell you, we've been here that long. And so, um, you know, we have patients, you know, must be, I don't remember how many thousand, over about 110,000 um, patients in our database. And there are still people that come in whose numbers are under a thousand. Okay. Whose patient numbers are less than a thousand. Wow. So, you know, it's, uh, that's something that uh, when I sometimes when I bring, there's a lot of competition lately. There was a time where we were the only optical company left in Parkchester. Now there's about four different optical companies in Parkchester. And um, whenever I, uh, you know, show somebody the practice and I'm giving them the tour, and I take them to all the stores. I always save Parkchester for last. 
And when I go there, I bring them to all the competition. And they say, why are you showing me your competition? I said, because now I want to show you our store. And when I pull up outside, sometimes you can't even get in. Okay. So, you know, I don't know about that now. <laughs> okay. With COVID-19, I think is uh, going to change that pretty much forever, mm-hmm. at least for the immediate future. But um, that's one of the great things that uh, about Parkchester is that people come back to Parkchester for a lot of different things. So, you know, you go to Macy's and uh, because you've always gone to Macy's. You know, I recently went to Macy's because I needed something and I knew Macy's would have it. And I went there to get it. And, you know, I think there's a lot of other people like that. So um, that's one of the great things about the community. Right. We have about a minute left, John. What, you've been part of the community for a long, long time. Um, what kind of changes have you seen in Parkchester over the last maybe 10 or 15 years? Well, as Jeff brought up, Okay, the uh, ethnicity of the area has changed significantly. Okay, you know, it started off um, as a Jewish community, an Irish community, uh, became a black community, Hispanic community. Now it's largely an Asian population, Bangladeshis. And, you know, it's the important thing about all that is the ethnicities change, but the people that live there are, are, you know, he mentioned that it was uh, condominia. Okay, they're all working class people. They work hard and they contribute to the community. And I think that's really what I love about Parkchester the most. Oh, great. Well, John, thank you so much for being a guest on Rediscovering New York and the show about Parkchester. Our second guest has been John Benizio. John is a partner and chief operating officer of Metro Optics Eyewear that has four locations in the Bronx, including their flagship store, which is in Parkchester. Well, we've just finished this week's trip across the, I don't know if it's the Harlem River, across, yes, the Harlem River, from where I am in Harlem to the Bronx. Um, my guests have been Jeffrey Gurak of Yeshiva University and John Benizio of Metro Optics Eyewear. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant for the program is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Talking Alternative. 
you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 